I was thinking about the persecuted church. That video was going on. And uh, most of the time, my health is pretty good. And I don't get headaches very often. I had a headache about uh, two years ago. And uh, we were driving home from a party. And we got to the house. And I've never experienced pain like this before. It was so bad that I couldn't move. And Shelly went into the house, and I stayed in the passenger seat of the car because I couldn't drive, waiting for the drugs that she brought out of the house to take effect. And uh, I've never experienced pain like that before. It came as a total shock. And while I was experiencing that, I was thinking of a friend of mine who copes with these kind of headaches on a weekly basis. And all I could think of was, how does he do this? How does he get through this? And it was the first time I ever really understood what he was dealing with, even though I'd watched him deal with it for years. We live in the high-water mark of comfort in human history. And occasionally, something happens in our lives that denies us that comfort, usually for relatively short periods of time. So our normal is comfort, complete comfort. And yet, the people that this video is talking about, their normal is persecution. Their normal is not knowing whether they're going to live or die, whether they're going to live in their homes, whether they're going to be kicked out, whether they will watch their children being burnt alive or not. That's their normal. And occasionally they experience periods of peace where they actually feel secure. And, you know, every time I see something like this, I feel guilty because I'm not doing anything. Because whatever I do will be pathetic in the big picture. But God gives us something to do, and that's to pray. He has breathed his authority and power into our prayers. So it's not nothing when we pray. And it's not tokenism. Our prayers may be the vehicle that brings the peace and presence of God to a person who's suffering. Isn't that an interesting thought? So all of a sudden, our prayers have meaning. And purpose beyond our understanding. And no one can really understand how prayer works. But beyond our understanding, it works. We can be the vehicle of comfort for someone whose circumstances is denying it. So let's think about that. And you know, whenever, whenever I get a really bad headache, which I pray to God I don't, I think of my friend, what he lives with. And I find myself praying for him. Now, he's probably wishing I had more headaches. <laughs> Don't wish that. Anyway, Josh taught a really good sermon last week. It was, um, how do we move forward in periods of crisis? And there's lots of us going through crisis. You can't be in a church with more than two or three people in it, without having someone in your community in crisis. 
This is, this is a reality. How do we move forward in that? And he gave us three points, but the third point is the point I want to jump off from. And we're in the series, Growing Great Relationships. So this kind of fits. His third point was that however we move forward in crisis, we move forward together in solidarity because we're a community, because we share a common faith, because, and I've taught this before, God has supernaturally joined us together as a family. And we will never fully understand that until we're all fully home. We'll really get the impact of that when we're all home in heaven together at that huge feast. I was talking with someone the other day because I love to eat. And I was talking about, so well, what kind of food will it be in heaven? Will it be Chinese food? Will it be Italian? Will it be burgers? Will it be barbecue and ribs? What, what? There's this great feast where Jesus is waiting. He said, I'm not going to drink wine until I get you all home. And we're all around the Thanksgiving table together. And then we're going to have this great feast and, and a wild party that follows. So I'm thinking to myself, is it demographics? Is it that now there's going to be more Chinese Christians than, than any other subculture? So we're all going to eat Chinese food? Or does, does God love you know, the party spirit so it's going to be Italian um, what's it going to be? And she had a take on it that, that uh, I'd never thought of. Each person will sit down and in front of them will be their favorite food. <laughs> Whoa, that has to be the definition of heaven. That's the way it ought to be. I don't know why I told you that. I'm just hungry. Anyway, we are united as one family waiting to be brought home together. And when we go forward in crisis, the thing we've got to remember is we go forward together. Now, here is something that I have never understood, and you can help me with this. I've seen a pattern in how individuals deal with suffering, deal with crisis, deal with problems in their life. And it's, it's a Christian issue, and it's not something I fully understand, and I want you to ponder it a little bit. But here's what I've observed. Person A is happy in church. It has meaning and purpose, and they belong. And then something bad happens in their life, and they disappear. Hello? Have you noticed that? I see it all the time. They're part of the community. They're happy. They're functioning. It has all the meaning and purpose that it's supposed to have. And then a crisis comes and they disappear. And we don't see them for months. Then when it's over, they come back. I'm talking about some of you. We've done it. What is this thing in us that always wants to retreat and hide when we're in pain? When we need the body most, we walk away from it. When we need it the least, we're there. What's going on in our heads and our hearts that this is a common human reaction? Does it make any sense to you at all? Why do you think it is? Well, that's got to be a big part of it. We don't want to seem weak. Our pride and our self-image just gets in the way of the very thing that we need when we need it most. Because we don't want to be weak. 
Now, that's not true. We're okay with being weak. We just don't want anyone else to see us being weak. Right? What else? Why do we run away when we're in trouble? From the very thing that God has designed to get us through it. Well, I'm really glad you as an American said that and me as a Canadian is going to comment upon it. But, thank you. In, I, no, I, I'm not done yet. We're, he opened the door, I want to run through it. We'll do shame in a minute. <laughs> Shame's a good one, but look, guys, I've said this to you before, but you've got to grasp it. Individualism is is a political philosophy and a social philosophy that's only 200 years old. Prior to the rise of individualism as an explanation and an understanding of, of the value of the individual and his place in society, prior to that, there was no concept of this in, in history. You saw yourself as part of a community. Rome is a paramount example. The whole concept of Roman citizenship was not individualism, but that you see yourself as tied to some great vision, some wonderful corporate reality. We are the most individualistic culture that has ever lived. We have perfected it to our detriment. There's independence, there's dependence, and there's interdependence. Dependence is not healthy. Independence is not healthy. Interdependence is God's design for us. So we ought to be willing to turn our backs on the parts of our culture that are not Christian. I'm not saying we shouldn't be individuals. God made us as individuals. But our understanding of what significance, where significance comes from. Significance doesn't come from getting your way all the time and being independent of others. Alienation comes from that. Interdependence provides meaning and purpose and texture, social texture to our lives. So why would we walk away from that right when we need it most? Well, sadly, I mean, sadly, that's true, that there are times when in our weakness we expose our weakness to others and we find someone judging us or rejecting us for our weakness. Look, in any group of people, there will be some idiots. Some, dare I say it in church, buttheads. Okay? There will be some people who, when you take the risk of being real, will judge you. For your weakness. Because they're so caught up in their strength, they despise weakness. God is attracted to weakness. Human nature, apart from the indwelling presence of God, despises weakness. God is attracted to weakness. And if you've had a bad experience when you've been judged for your weakness, you have two choices. You can now live under that and never risk again. And you will have superficial fellowship and you will not get the benefits of what God designed the community to be. Or you can say, 
I'm going to continue taking chances with people. But be very smart about the people you pick to be real with. Look for people who (laughs) ooze compassion. Look for people who have suffered themselves. A.W. Tozer said, I don't trust any Christian who doesn't walk with a limp. I'm serious. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm wary of people who have not suffered because they don't understand. They don't understand what it's like. They don't understand what the need is. They're not really well equipped to respond. But listen, most of the people in this room have suffered at one time or another. Just avoid the ones that haven't. Look for someone trustworthy. But we can't live in isolation. We can't. We're not designed for it. We don't prosper in it. Our lives shrivel and become smaller. going to run through these texts really quickly and get to the point. I want to jump off with what Josh said last week. Jesus' prayer for us is so amazing. It's the one prayer in the Bible where he's praying for us today. Us, this, us, you, us, this community right here, right now. John 17, 21. I'm praying, Father, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. It is bizarre to me that Jesus establishes his credibility with the world on how we are in unity. I think it's the craziest thing he ever did. The world will know that he is who he says he is and came from the Father Because of his great miracles? No. Because of the profundity of his teaching? No. Because of his holiness? No. The world will believe who he is, who he says he is, based on our unity and our love for one another. Thanks, Lord. I didn't really need any more responsibility in my life. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Gee, rather high standard of unity. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How much room is there for independence in that statement? The world will know that God is truly Jesus' Father and that God loves them because, he'll, because the world will see his quality of love in us. John 13, 34, we know this one, a new command I give you. This is where he changes everything. This is where he changes everything. Judaism wasn't about loving one another. It was about pursuing holiness and loving God. The one another thing, that's fine, but it's minor. A new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. Well, there's another high standard. By this this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 
And then 1 John 4.12 is one of my favorite verses. No one has ever seen God. That's the problem. We're selling an invisible product. No one has ever seen God. How do you do a, how do you do a demo? How do you demo God? What's your God like? Well, he's invisible. Really helpful. What's your God like? Well, come to church. Come to church. Why? To hear you preach? No, to see people love one another. Come to my small group and see people love one another. Then I can give you a demo of God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What a concept that God's love is not complete until it's complete in how we love one another. The Greek word lives, God lives in us, that's used here, can be translated as stays. In other words, God's presence comes and stays where there is love. And he will depart where there isn't. It's not, it's, it's, it's somewhat conditional. Where there is love amongst us, his presence is amplified and becomes more powerful and his love is made complete. He's attracted to love because he is love. He feels at home in a loving place because he's love. The word complete is also translated made whole or perfect. There's something imperfect about God's love until we love like he does. God stays or abides amongst us when we love each other. His love is not perfect or complete until we're loving each other. No one has ever seen God, but when we love each other, his love is made visible. It's made perfectly clear. It's demonstrated. Now, you all know this. I've preached this too many times. But this raises a question, and here's the subject of today's sermon. What is the foundation of a loving relationship? What does a loving relationship require? What's the basis of it? Don't put up the next slide. Good, just leave that there for a minute. What's the foundation of a loving relationship? Hmm? <laughs> tricky. Very tricky. Okay, we got love, we got sacrifice. Who said communication? I think you're all right, but I'm going with communication. Thank you. I'm going with communication. What kind of communication? Sincere? So can I call it honest? Okay. (laughs) I said, can I call it honest? And he said, why not? You're preaching. (laughs) Thanks, Francisco. That was really helpful. Jerk. (laughs) I got the microphone. I can do whatever I want. I've thought a lot about it. I don't think you can have a relationship based on anything but honesty. I think a relationship is only as deep as you are honest. Now, we, we have a lot of relationships that are acquaintances where we're not honest. We're superficial. 
We just keep it real light. We just kind of skip the, the rock across the surface of the pond, doink, 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 to the other side. And to be, let's be honest, that's most of our relationships. Because how real can you be with everybody in your life? <laughs> now you're running risks. You get real with everybody in your life, you're going to run some serious risks. But a genuine relationship with real love, you have to know the person to love them. You can have sentimental feelings about them without knowing them, but you can't really love them unless you know them. Does that make sense? If it's going to be a good relationship, a real relationship, it's going to have to be an honest relationship. Loving relationships require honesty. You can't love someone you don't know. Now, we have a word for the feeling that happens after you think you have gotten to know someone only to find out they were faking their thoughts and their feelings and their reactions to you. What is this word? Hmm? Who said disillusioned? You are disillusioned. What does disillusioned mean? There was an illusion and you were taken out of it. You see, what they were saying and being for you wasn't true. It was an illusion. It was a construct. It was something they wanted you to believe about them, but it wasn't true. And you were really happy with that illusion. You valued that illusion. You responded to that illusion because that illusion was the best of what they could project to you that would cause you to admire and like them and want a relationship with them. And it works really well until you find out it isn't true. And then you are disillusioned. And what happens at that point is that it is worse than if they'd never said any of those nice things. It is worse than if they'd just been the jerk that they are. You could have adapted to the jerk that they are. You could have established your boundaries. You could have figured out how to maneuver this relationship, well, decently and kindly and safely. But you just got screwed. And now you're disillusioned. And you're not just disillusioned about them. You're disillusioned about relationships. I'm not going to do that again. This trust thing is ridiculous. Look what happened. It is both a feeling and it's a fact. The fact is you were deceived. You were given an illusion of who that person was and you found out that it was false. And the feeling is abused, tricked, and violated. And nothing destroys a relationship faster than dishonesty. You can put up with a lot, but when you no longer believe the person, the relationship is over. And boy, is it hard to rebuild, to reestablish trust. Even when you're hearing what your heart longs to hear, I'm sorry, or I love you. If you don't believe the words, it's worse than not hearing them at all. Think about this. In the world of relationships, a pleasant lie is more destructive than an unpleasant truth. Isn't that interesting? 
In the world of relationships, a pleasant lie is more destructive than an unpleasant truth. Dishonesty isn't merely dangerous to a relationship. It's the opposite of a relationship. Now, let's be fair. Sometimes it's not that they created the illusion, but you had expectations of them and who they should be for you. You created the illusion. You created the image of who you wanted them to be, and then you found out that they weren't that. But either way, disillusionment is the result. And it's very hard to love someone after disillusionment, unless you can now accept the true person. By the way, that's the definition of marriage. Coming to accept the true person. Didn't we all put our best image forward? Weren't we all trying to be more attractive than we really are? Isn't that what we set the hook with? And then once the fish is in the boat, you got to clean it? (laughs) Accepting the real person? Letting go of the image? Letting go of the fantasy? And embracing the real person? But the fact is, you can't truly love an image because it isn't real. You can't have a meaningful relationship with an image. When I was young, there was this TV show called Marcus Welby, MD. Does anyone here remember Marcus Welby? Look, all this is awesome. I actually have stumbled upon a relevant illustration. This is great. Okay, Marcus Welby, MD. Remember, I mean, like he had the gray hair, and he, had, and he just had this mature, kind, wise, he was everything you'd want a doctor to be. Absolutely everything you'd want. He was a perfect doctor. And I saw him interviewed, the, the actor, like he wasn't playing Marcus Welby, he was, the, he was the person who played Marcus Welby. And he was being interviewed on this show. And the guy said, how do people... You know, Safeway, out there, the gas station. How do people respond to you after the success of this series? And he said, well, it's really kind of messed up my life. And he meant it. And the guy said, well, what do you mean? This is a really successful series. You're a great actor. He said, that's the problem. He said, they come up to me on the street and they start telling me their symptoms. Seriously. And he said, they tell me their symptoms, and then they, wa- they ask me what I should be doing about it. And he said, and then I say to them, I'm sorry, but I'm just an actor. That was a role that I was playing. I don't know anything about medicine. He said half of them get angry with him and chew him out because he's not giving them the help that they expected. These people were illusioned, seriously illusioned. They needed to be disillusioned. They rejected the real actor for the sake of an image that he portrayed. They were more attached to the image than to the real person. And when they encountered the real person, they couldn't embrace the real person because they had so much invested in the image. Hello? 
in order to have a loving relationship, you've got to know the real person. The Bible puts it this way. 1 John 1, seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. In other words, now there's a condition here. Fellowship is relationship. Fellowship is what the Bible calls koinonia. Fellowship is a quality of family life together where we're loving one another, not perfectly, but where we're beginning to approach the way the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Spirit and the Spirit loves the Father and etc., etc. We're We're beginning to dwell in God's love in relationship. That's fellowship. But if we, if, right? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sin. Well, this is part of a passage in John where light is being equated with truth and darkness is being equated with falsehood. So you could read this and say, but if we're real and honest with each other, like Jesus is, then we'll have fellowship with one another. And of course, converse is true. If we don't, we won't. Walking in the light doesn't just mean obedience. It has to do with truth and and being truthful. Really, it's saying that to have fellowship, we have to be honest with one another. It's about being transparent people. When I say the word transparent, what do you think? What thoughts come up in your mind? What feelings does it evoke? Being transparent. Open. Integrity. Hmm? Vulnerable. Shame, back to yours on shame, where we hit on shame. When we say being transparent, most of the time the connotation's not good. Too much information. Most of the time when we think of being transparent, it has to do with shame, and it has to do with fear, and it has to do with rejection. Why don't we say innocent? Fully known, totally accepted, completely understood. Why most of the time is it a negative connotation? Because of shame. But I also think it's part of our culture, our church culture. I think we've made some terrible mistakes. I think it's this. For a long time, for many of us, church is putting on your best face. We don't just dress up for church physically with nice clothes. We dress up for church with putting on the image of the person we wish we were rather than the person that we are. I see us taking a photo of ourselves, our face, And then going to Photoshop and putting on hair and removing discoloration and blotchy skin and taking off zits and making the eyebrows more perfect 
and touching up our photo until it's the person we wish we were. And of course, Photoshop has the ability to roll back the years. So I'm starting with a photo of me at 30, not 64. And then we take that and we get it just perfect and then we cut it out and we glue it onto a popsicle stick. And then we come to church and we hold our best face forward in front of us. And we begin to have relationships. My image begins to have conversation with your image. And our images have a relationship. But the person behind the image is not having a relationship. They're maintaining an image. That's why we leave church when crisis happens. Because crisis strips us of the photoshopped image and it can't be maintained anymore. So because our fellowship was on the basis of these images, we can't maintain it when we can't maintain the image. So we leave until we can reconstruct the image and come back perfect. Good luck. And God can't work through that. And when we need him most, through his people, we don't get him. Because he can't work through falsehood. It's not in his nature. can't have true fellowship without truth. How do we get out of this? How do we how do we get real? I mean if this if this message has struck home and I can't imagine how it hasn't to some degree struck home, how do we get from life behind the mask? no mask how do we do it how do we start taking the risks we've got some time here and this is not a rhetorical question I'm curious what you think okay everything begins with a decision I think that's really smart and the decision is always the biggest part of the of the change There is no change without a decision. And merely making the decision is risk. It's risky. Saying, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want real fellowship. At least with a few people, I want it to be real. So you make a decision, then what do you do? Okay, you start to embrace transparency, which is talking about who you really are and what you really feel and and what you're really going through and your fears and your doubts. And how are you going to start that? One person. Just find one person. Find someone who has a reputation for being trustworthy, confidential, and loving and go and talk to them. And even if you have to say, I know this is really awkward, but do you know, I, I just want to be known by someone. 
And I want to be able to be real for a few minutes. Can you give me a few minutes where I can be real with you? And will you hold what I say in confidence? And will you love me anyway afterwards? Can you give me that up front? That when I share who I really am and my doubts and my fears, that you'll still love me afterwards. Yeah, I think that's really true. You know, there's two ways to preface the conversation. One is to say, Christians are shallow and you can't have a real relationship with them. Now I want to know you. No. Oh, I sure hope I don't fail you. I guess I probably will. But what Les is saying, I think, is you just say, you don't, you don't put it as a challenge or a, a, a hoop for them to jump. You say, I have this desire to have a genuine relationship in my life. I have this desire to be truly known. Can I share some of my heart with you? And all I'm asking is that you just, just be gentle with with my heart because it's fragile and, and, and that you hold these things in confidence and that you won't reject me for the weakness that I show. Yes, Deb. You know, nothing gets people, nothing brings down people's walls faster than a genuine desire to know them. I mean, if you, if you show interest in people and you're a good listener, remember we talked about listening a few weeks ago? If you cultivate what it is to be a good listener, you'll find people opening up to you all the time because they feel safe. They sense that you're interested in who they are as a person because you're a good listener. And, and, and you're... You're approaching the, the conversation with a desire to know them, not a desire to score points and how clever or smart you are. And when people sense that, man, they just open up to you right away. What else?
I think that that's part of the decision that Jerry was talking about. When you first make a decision to overcome shallow relationships, you have to face the fear. You have to say, this could cost me something. But the reward so outweighs the cost that it's worth pursuing. It's a risk that's worth taking. And if you begin, it's, I'm, not, I'm not whipping our church here. We have a lot of really genuine relationships in this church. I know because I'm part of some of them. We're pretty real with each other. But I want us, I would like this to be the kind of place where everyone is welcome. And no matter what they say, they'll not experience rejection. They'll experience love and acceptance and help and understanding to where we would be known as a place that's incredibly authentic. And I think in many ways we are, but we can always be better at this. And God is so attracted to that, that he makes his presence real and he abides with us and his love is made complete in us. And man, there's no better place to live than a place like that. Let's just close our eyes and ask the Holy Spirit some questions and see what he says to us so we can apply this in our own lives. Holy Spirit, would you you show us the face of someone that we know we can trust, someone you're leading us to trust. Would you show us their face? Holy Spirit, would you show each of us what it is we need to talk about, what it is we need to be transparent about that will bring freedom to us. Holy Spirit, would you give us a taste of what it would feel like to be vulnerable and real and be accepted? Would you provide some motivation by giving us a sense of the joy and the freedom of what it is to drop the mask and live transparently, at least with one person or two people? Would you provide motivation by showing us how we would feel if we got to be that way normally? Holy Spirit, would you please deposit courage into us. Lord, would you just give us some of... Jesus, would you give us some of your courage? So we can drop the mask. 
this once in a while. You know, we have vehicles in this church that helps in this process at connect groups. We had a connect group yesterday. It was one of the best ones we've had in a long, long time. And everybody got real. It was just wonderful. And then we went out to a buffet and ate too much, which was almost as wonderful. All these layers of fellowship, all these freedoms... Let's go for it, okay? Let's go for it. If you have any need you would like prayer for, maybe it's being courageous and being more vulnerable or God to help you find a person to be real with, or maybe it's physical problem or relational problem or spiritual problem, financial problem, and you would like prayer, then it would be wrong to leave here without getting it. We believe in a God who's interactive, who actually does stuff. And this is a chance to let him do stuff in your life. So prayer team, would you guys come up now? Les and Donette, Maru, Francisco, Jan. Prayer team, come on up. And folks, if you've, this is a, a vulnerability opportunity here to come and say, I need help with something. It's, it's a good step in the right direction. So if you do, why don't you come forward now and and we're going to worship a little bit and pray for one another.